0: Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Austin Wiggerman, Austin Wiggerman Guide Service. If I was a really prepared host, I'd tell you what episode it was that we had him on before. I want to say it was probably mm, in the 90s, I'm guessing. So go back and, and uh, check that episode out if you like what Austin has to say on this episode. Speaking of past episodes, I know that we've had somebody bring it up to us that you can't necessarily hear all of our episodes on... I think it's iTunes. So if you're looking for episodes further back than 100, because I think iTunes only does 100, I'm wondering if there's a setting I need to go find or whatever to allow more. But anyways, for the time being, I don't know that there is. And you can only go back to, I don't want to say, like episode 30-something. Anyways, so if you go to Podbean... You can either go to podbean.com or they have an app you can download on your phone. You can find all of our episodes there, so check out Podbean. I haven't checked it on Spotify. Maybe they do too, but I know it's an iPhone issue, at least for sure. So, anyways, that's what we got going on there. My co-host today is Brad Hoppy, Muskie Mayhem Tackle. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, so that's kind of what we got going on this week. Brad, post-Thanksgiving episode... quite honestly it's almost been a week since thanksgiving so it's kind of odd but how uh how's life in minnesota it sounds like you're still getting out fishing
1: yeah we've got a couple more days here left of the season um the water temps are they're starting to plummet a little bit it's kind of bizarre i got stopped at a gas station on the way home today and she said are you actually fishing in that boat and i'm like yeah yeah i am but uh There's actually quite a few of our smaller bodies of water that people are ice fishing on already with four inches of ice. Uh, Some of the musky lakes that I'm fishing definitely are still open, but uh, it's short-lived. we got two days left of the season as of this recording. It's been good. I want to do a little shout-out to everybody that uh, ended up ordering from us on the Black Friday sale and Cyber Monday. We truly appreciate our customers, and a big, huge shout-thank you.
0: I'll make that same shout out, but at first I want to say something about the ice fishing comment. So I know Jake and Russ Smith, Smitty Bates, they listen to the podcast and I sent an order over to Jake and he replied to me this morning saying that it was Russ's birthday today. This is Monday. The episode comes out on Wednesday. And uh, they were going ice fishing today and I'm like, man, they should still be musky fishing. But uh, So there you go. It goes back to your point. There are definitely people in Wisconsin and Minnesota that are ice fishing. Happy belated birthday, Russ. I know that you listen, so hopefully you'd listen to this episode. And on Brad's point, you know, same thing. We want to thank everybody for shopping with Team Rhino Outdoors. It was a a busy weekend, you know, putting orders in boxes. Busy, I don't know, six days or whatever it was. So thank you for that. If you're still out fishing or if you're looking for gifts or if you're looking to prepare for, you know, 2022 season, oddly enough where it's, you know, we're going to jump back on the show trail here really quick, but... If you want to order online, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We're your source for um, all things musky gear. Custom, exclusive colors, we have a bunch of those, but we also carry your old faithful standard favorites. And we're continuing to restock the website the best we can as quickly as we can. It's been a busy year, but, you know, show must go on, I guess, right, Brad?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I mean, it, it never seems to end, right? I mean, it's a big full circle we're busy with initial orders for the season and getting prepared for shows again. You know, it's amazing. We just, uh, went through Thanksgiving, had the black Friday, obviously and the cyber Monday and all of that good stuff, but hey, it never ends. And we just keep pounding away.
0: Brad, if people are looking to get in touch with musky mayhem tackle and figure out what's going on with musky mayhem tackle, how do they go about doing that?
1: Well, it's really simple actually, Jeff. I mean, you can go to muskymayhemtackle.com or you can check us out on our YouTube channel as well as our Instagram and Facebook.
0: Well, there you go. Short and sweet intro. I don't have much else to add. I'm not sure if Brad has much else to add to this intro. Well, Once again, we both want to thank you for listening to the podcast every single week. Lots of loyal listeners and, you know, we're trying to get a bunch of different guests on. Things are going to open up now with many guys getting off the water. So our guest list will get a little bit longer and you know there's no shortage as we mentioned before it's just a matter of you know fun and time and now brad and i our schedules will free up a little bit so expect new and exciting guests coming in the near future
1: absolutely jeff let's get after it tonight
0: all right our guest today is austin wiggerman with austin wiggerman guide service we had austin on hmm i don't know when that was this winter austin is that right
2: yeah, it was a while ago. I think it was it was right before you guys' hundredth episode, whenever that was. So maybe right before, right after New Year.
0: Uh, yeah, somewhere in there. Anyways, if I was more prepared, I would have looked it up for you. I, I'm not that prepared. Not as prepared as Austin. He uh, sent us over this nice note typed up on his iPhone with things he wants to talk about, which is pretty nice and helpful for you know slackers like Brad and I, who you know just kind of whip this together on a whim. <laughs> so anyways, Austin, it's, uh, it's great to have you back on. I know you just got done with, uh, I think your first full season of guiding. Is that also correct?
2: Yeah. First full season guiding. So I, uh, I swung for the fences, made the decision to go ahead and, and try and do it full time and certainly something I will never regret and definitely going to keep, uh, keep it going for as long as I can for sure.
0: And I know we're going to talk about the season, but uh, before we get started, for anybody that's looking to book a trip with you, if they like what they hear here today, how do they go about doing that?
2: Um, Honestly, right now, the easiest way you can get a hold of me is like Facebook or Instagram, or go ahead and text or call me. Uh, My number is 815-575-3468. That's really the easiest way to go ahead and get get a hold of me.
0: All right, so Austin, you just got done with your first year. I know you said you don't regret it and you'd love to, you know, you'd do it all over again. Let's talk a little bit about that. Why don't you kind of give us a recap of how your season went?
2: Yeah, for sure. It was definitely one of the scariest chances I feel like I've taken. It's been by far the biggest challenging step that I've taken in the whole journey of fishing, but it's also by far been the most rewarding. I think so much has come out of it that I never had planned or expected and it's a whole different ball game, honestly. I, I actually went back and, and looked at my uh whatever, my official post on Facebook that basically said that I was guiding and, and went through all the comments and it was it was quite just fulfilling. Yeah, just, I was it was amazing the, the feedback, the positive comments and then also just the advice, the amount of people I mean, Herbie Commented, you know and and i definitely understand these comments after wrapping up basically a full year of guiding I, I understand these a lot more to the degree of uh of what they mean by them herbie said make or, bre- or uh, your clients pick your clients the make or break your day completely understand that i'm sure as he knows to some degree and as i figured out unfortunately i'm probably going to have to eat some dirt here for the first few years and grind through whatever clients come my way to, uh, to make that paycheck. But JVR said it's a completely game changer, but it's completely worth it. Completely true. I mean, I've, I've definitely caught enough muskies in my life and I get plenty of fulfillment from catching every muskie that I do, no matter the size, but it's a whole different like spectrum of emotions and feelings when you net a fish for somebody who this is their first muskie ever or their new personal best or even just getting messages from the clients that I had in the boat earlier in the season that just said, Hey, I remember this from the day we had on the water. I just tried it out. I just caught a, you know, big fish or a fish, whatever it may be. It's just, a. it's been an extremely, tangent within the the fishing spectrum that I've really I never I never really planned on getting into to be honest but I couldn't be more happy that I definitely want this route
1: well the whole guiding realm you know uh, honestly Austin I mean it's it's not always necessarily about catching fish it's about personalities and maybe potentially being entertaining and showing somebody a good time so you know, I've gotten to know you over the last year and I definitely think you fit the bill. So let's talk a little bit more in depth. I mean, you're, you're talking about how fulfilling it's been. How was your season all overall with fishing as well? I think the first few guide outings I had,
2: which I'm very lucky to say that I was some more close family friends, or I right? They've musky fished for years. So those, those were like, like having buddies in the boat, basically. They were were more or less supporting me making the decision to guide. So those were easy, not a problem. As the season progressed, and I truly began to learn, like, on the spot of dictating the day around the angler's skill set, number one. But also, I made a point to start every single day when we pulled off the dock by simply asking, like, what would be the, the most fulfilling experience from today? Like when I drop you off at the dock, what do you want out of today? And basically whatever they say, whether that be, I just want to catch a muskie or I want to catch my biggest muskie or there's guys that they just got a mega imaging unit for the year. And a lot of the day we went around and between spots, I had them sitting and looking at what I was seeing on the screen screen and basically a lot of electronic stuff so it was was a big learning experience just dictating the day around the client's expectations number one but also what they were looking to get out of it and i think specifically in illinois you know we're not it's not a state meant for 50 inch muskies if you're looking for that you're gonna have to go see brad it's a much more numbers Specific location where, when these people started their day, and I would say a majority of my clients, I would say half of my clients had never eaten musky fish before, or if they had, they had not musky fished with musky deer. So, a lot of my days honestly just started off by teaching them how to use bait casters. I would say that was a big learning curve. And well, I know that I can go out there and grab a bulldog or a medusa, rip it in open water and catch fish. Well, the people that just walked onto my boat—that's—that's that's not going to give them the best opportunity to catch a fish. So, definitely making sure that I knew what my clients wanted out of the day, as it is their day. No matter what, at the end of the day, it's their day. Whatever they want out of it, and then being able to adjust what would give them the best opportunity and get the most out of the day was, was really the biggest learning curve, biggest, I would say, adjustment that I had to make between I know that I can go catch fish, but catching other people fish is a whole different category. So the year went great. Honestly, overall, it was, it was impressive. I would say personally, I caught the lowest numbers that I've caught in years. Uh, haven't caught anything crazy special for size-wise, but that comes with being in the back of the boat which I don't have any issue with that and I can tell you my friends absolutely loved the fact that I was a guide because when they jumped out with me after their work ended and I dropped my clients off at the dock we had fish to go back on and they took full advantage of that I can definitely say but I would say we we caught a ton of our fish client-wise during some of the more productive simplistic bites being There was a few really good open water bites that I definitely got on um, end of April, beginning of May, and then again, real post-spun end of May, early June, and then middle of May, there was a really, really good topwater bite where it was basically every morning, no matter how good or bad you are at fishing in general, you could get the the reels dialed in, to not even think about a backlash and as long as I could get a prop style topwater out there. We'd have a few chances in the morning that basically propelled them and, and gave them enough energy and juice to go through the rest of the day. So the the beginning of the year was definitely the most consistent, um, easiest part on my job. And as the season progressed, it it definitely got tougher in the sense that the clarity got super dark and dirty. And this is this is a whole different category which I I learned as you learn your first year of guiding, you learn a lot just on the spot. But if a client's never musky fished before and they don't know what the bait's doing and they're not in tune with going into the figure eight and they can't see their bait coming because the water's so dirty, they're not going to be able to build that, that, me, uh, that mechanics Over your eight hour, 10 hour guide trip, whatever it may be. It's just impossible. So, basically, what I learned is giving them a a bait that they could see, a really bright uh, bucktail at top water for the first few hours of the day, even if that was what I would say a lower chance of them catching a fish, by the end of the day, it propelled them and gave them a much higher chance of catching a fish by the repetition of reeling their bait up just before the leader, making the L turn, going on and so so on and so forth, where by the end of the day I could have them throwing bucktails and crankbaits and possibly uh jerk baits and rubber baits depending on their learning curve and we would have success with them. Where it was it was a big understanding of we might not catch fish and I'm thinking this in my head. They don't know we might not catch fish the first half of the day before we eat lunch, but I'm basically building them into muskie fishermen in the first few hours of the day. And it, it paid off a lot. I would say we caught a lot, a lot of our fish in the first hour or two after lunch. And it's, it's really surprising because on a, on a body of water and just for background for anybody who, who doesn't know, I guide on the Fox train lakes, which, is supposedly the busiest waterway in America, where if you Google it, literally there's over 30,000 people on this waterway, which is only, I think, eight or 9,000 acres on holiday weekends. And it is, it is an actual zoo. So when I'm talking about pressure, it's like nothing you ever even want to experience. So that mid-afternoon bite, that's not usually... When you'd be catching muskies, especially as temps really climb and summer patterns solidify, that's that's actually when we did. And I think it's more to do with getting their mechanics built, giving them some confidence in casting, retrieving, both sides, whatever. And it, it ended up paying off, which was, which was pretty dang cool.
1: You know, ultimately, though, Austin, I mean, the mechanics are really a big part of this whole sport. And obviously you've been fishing huskies a long time. So you understand the mechanics and the importance, but being able to, you know, read your clients and try to work with them to get them to that level. Half the time they probably don't even realize that that's what you're actually doing, which there's nothing wrong with that. But um, exactly. it definitely sounds like it paid off for you in the long haul. You know, you, when you tell me that you're catching your fish after that initial lunch break or whatever, getting back out there, definitely the repetitive emotions and just the coaching. And I, I think a lot of times guides don't like to coach. They're scared to coach because maybe they don't want to offend somebody or whatever it might be. But honestly, I think that's what most people are hiring guides for. They want to know, what, what is it that I'm doing wrong? What am I doing right? And I think as a guide, if you can fill them in on what that all means, you're definitely going to get further advanced.
2: Oh, absolutely! And actually, I got two points on that because that's that's an extremely interesting point for sure, especially like in the muskie world. Where, like, number one, especially when I came on the podcast the first time around, I definitely wanted to talk about things well beyond the nerves. I wanted to talk about things that I felt like were a little bit more advanced. But I also had in the back of my mind where I don't want to be telling people what to do. Where, like, you can literally go do a million different things and catch muskies. There's muskies shell, there's muskies deep all year round. So if you're doing something that's it's working, there's no r- right or wrong way to do this. So when you're, when you're giving advice or you feel like you shouldn't be giving advice, you're not exactly telling them specifically what to do or something like this podcast, like I'm sure later when we start talking about stuff. I, I'm not like saying that there's a line here, you have to be doing it this way. And as a guide, and it felt made me feel extremely more comfortable with the, the lack of experience in my clients, which sounds bad, but it's actually good because it gave me the confidence to articulate and build their mechanics and their confidence and understand what they're looking at on the front side imaging graph. And I realized that we are fishing over fish all day. I think the way that it worked out Looking back at it now, it it worked out as good as I could have imagined. I mean, I we I got I I think almost ten people's first muskies—kids, adults, guys that have been fishing for thirty years. We got a guy, guy and his son, his dad. He ha- he hired me, and his dad's been fishing for muskies for thirty plus years. We got his first two muskies ever, and I mean, just like stuff like that. That when I net that thirty-six inch fish, if I would have caught it. Yeah, it's exciting. I caught a muskie, you know, producing fish, doing whatever I'm doing. But at the end of the day, coaching them through how to work that crankbait, pulling up on a new spot, having him catch his first muskie ever, and then his second muskie ever, that's just like the, the addition to this guiding thing and, and sharing experiences with other anglers that you normally wouldn't do if you're just fishing with your buddies or by yourself or so on. And it, it, it just adds an incredible element to the sport that I, I know I've thoroughly in, enjoyed more than anything, and it certainly pushed me to like places where I use I wouldn't go. I mean, if I was out there by myself, I know that I'd be pounding open water for a majority of the year because I'm just trying to catch big ones. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to not catch little ones, and it also doesn't mean that I'm learning anything because I'm just targeting big musky marks on my you know mega side imaging that I was out with suspended bait fish at the end of the day i didn't learn anything yet if i'm fishing after i just dropped clients off because i need to dial in something for the next day's clients well i gotta go out there and throw little crank baits or bucktails up against the shoreline or a bunch of stuff that push me outside of my own box which is something i always preach to try to continue to learn and grow as a fisherman the simple fact of guiding and having to do these things that I normally wouldn't do actually, I think, made me an extremely better angler just for the forced fact of of having to go do this as opposed to I probably
1: wouldn't have otherwise. I've, I've said it for years, Austin. I mean, I learned something from the least experienced musky fisherman to the most experienced fisherman. Somebody always has something to bring to the table, and, you know, it, that's part of the whole guiding scene, too. I mean, it's it's incredible what I've learned from people that maybe they've fished a week, three days, you know, two months, maybe three years. But everybody has something to, to share that can make you a better angler. And that's a big part of the fun as well. Oh, yeah. And,
2: and honestly, when you're in the Fox Chain of Lakes and you got 25 other musky boats out there on a Wednesday and in and- tubers and jet skiers most of the time you're just looking to have fun because any muskie by any means even the sighting of one is an incredible achievement for the day let alone just trying to stand in the boat from the boat weight so i mean i i definitely had an absolute blast with everybody that came in the boat i i tried to share as much knowledge that they wanted to obtain and also just just have a plain good time i mean that's that's really what I would say I focused on big time as the season went on because we're not in the beautiful north of Wisconsin or Minnesota or Canada. We're literally in the most populated, pressured, boat-filled system across the entire Midwest. It's not an enjoyable scenery by any means, but it can be an extremely good musky fishery and dictating and trying to curate the day into just a fun time fun learning experience was just what it's all about for sure
1: so talking about the Northwoods, of wisconsin in the minnesota i mean you're guiding in all three states correct um i did not do any
2: guiding in in wisconsin this year and i i was i was planning on doing guiding in minnesota and my only issue with, with the minnesota thing this year as you know is the water temps just got warm everywhere so for the few weeks that I had planned on basically spending in Minnesota to guide, I I had a a, a wrestling match with myself basically. To, I I couldn't allow myself to promote me guiding in Minnesota online while I knew guys in Minnesota basically weren't fishing because of the water temps. So I I didn't do anything. Basically, there was a, a good stretch of time where I guided maybe once a week, and it was here in illinois during the few hours of the morning after our cool down where temps got low enough and i felt comfortable enough to take people out and and try to at least teach them something let alone catch a few fish so it it was a it was a somewhat slow uh summer but i did get away i got um i got up to minnesota in your area for a week at the uh the latter half of august i think it was right about the first it was it was full moon i believe but it was right about the first uh first bigger cool down i think temps got down to about 70 the last morning i left and it was it was an interesting trip every trip i've had this year has gone with either trailer issues or boat issues and minnesota trip was with a trim uh relay sticking and my motor was just constantly trimming upward which I know that I got in contact with you and thank God I did because it saved the rest of our trip, but it was a, a fight to even fish the first few days. And with big winds, I was basically near stranded. If I didn't have a jack plate to get the motor down far enough and hold the down uh, trim on the big motor, just to idle back across the lake to get back on the trailer a few times. So we, we managed uh, a few fish and it, it's just, it's amazing the the true difference between you know guiding or not guiding, but just fishing the amount of different places. I mean, I, I've been extremely fortunate enough to spend time on bodies of water, you know, all over Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and it. When I go up there, and I know you feel it's pressured, and it's certainly a heck of a lot more pressured now than it was five and ten years ago. But I go up there and I see. I, I think we saw one or two other musky boats for the first two days. And I was like, this is, this is insane. Yeah. I feel like there's just muskies galore coming off every spot and, and eating baits at my feet. And this is the most enjoyable experience ever. I don't have to worry about tubers hitting me, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely, I spent a week up in, in Minnesota. We got, uh, my good buddies, um, new PB last morning. Which was uh, was awesome, fifty and a little over fifty. And thank God for, like I said, your uh, your hookup on the on the boat relay. We drove what well, a little over an hour in those bad storms that that day, and uh, got got rehooked up there. And we decided instead of driving home, we're going to go finish the trip off and ended it on a good note. And then I spent one uh, one weekend up in northern Wisconsin with uh, good buddy Sam Stone. We fished it. Uh, Deep Clearwater, Cisco Lake—that's kind of our style when we go up north these days. But um, we got an absolutely insanely gorgeous tiger muskie. I think it was forty-four and a half or forty-four and three quarters, and it was like just the most picture-perfect mosaic painting of a fish I've ever seen. It was—it was pretty incredible. So got to share that with him, and then uh, and then came home, and I've just been grinding in Illinois. It's been um, definitely been just. Amazing to see the difference and and I know we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but basically you were on the water today in Minnesota, yet when I showed up at the Fox Train this morning as of what is this, eleven twenty nine, the lakes were basically iced over here. And I think it's different world when you're talking about lake sizes and the seasonal changes and how quickly they occur in this neck of the woods i mean for us to have our lakes iced over at the end of uh, what is this no november at the beginning of november i think water temps were still in the 60s it's pretty impressive how quick things change and how the tiny lakes around here really just don't have the same patterning ability with progressional or yeah the progression of of and that certainly has changed the fishing throughout the
0: year for sure. So Austin, it sounds like you're able to travel around. I mean, you fished in a bunch of different states this year, So, but it sounds like you spent most of your time in Illinois. You want to talk a little bit about, I guess, some of the comparisons, maybe the similarities and differences between the three states that you fished in?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I think spending time, this is definitely the first season that I've spent this many days in a single state for sure. I think, uh, what, when I've spent even multiple days in a row on a single body of water, I feel like by the the end of that day, you're so dialed in or by the end of those few days, you're so dialed in that, that just all the, the small idiosyncrasies basically of, of each lake or, or that waterway or that time of year that, that, like I mentioned previously, the changes here in, the acreage of water that we have, they just, they just occur so quickly. And I think that when it comes to the day and age of social media or spot sharing or background fishermen, things along those lines, it, it can only serve you so, so far. And being a guy, being on the water day to day and, and seeing the changes that actually have occurred just on our Fox Chain lakes, Over the last few years, the water overall has gotten dirtier in clarity. We've lost a lot of our weed beds that used to grow out to 9, 11, 13 feet of water. And it's basically turned what I would say a a quality handful of spot fishery into a more pelagic roaming style of, um, of muskies. And I think that one thing I incorporated throughout every single day of guiding was there was not a day that I was gonna spend on the water without checking less than three feet of water and the basin. And I know that personally I spend a lot of time in the basin down here. Just seems like the big fish spend a majority of their time throughout the entire season, especially coming boating and fishing pressure season suspended across the basins. But I also found that making sure to hold myself accountable to checking that super shallow water became extremely important, especially in the in the latter half of the year where, where things started to cool down. Like I mentioned, our, our lakes are just not very big. So springtime, water temps from 55 to 70. It happens in a week, a week and a half. We're like, that's your prime temperature that we as musky anglers sit all winter waiting that post-spawn like progressive slow warm-up the reality of slow warm-up or the slow cool down here is just non-existent it just it doesn't happen so planning on that inside weed edge bite or the span bite whatever it may be it shines in very short windows and i think that fish move in smaller packs to those let's say inside weed edges um, but it's not a it's not a giant movement where you may see something like that happen on on lakes in Minnesota or lakes in Wisconsin where you have that progressive cool down of fall pre turnover and now there 's a whole shift within this last few days of fish pushing up super shallow it just It just doesn 't seem to happen that way. I think holding myself accountable to understanding that there is a big difference between I can't walk on or launch my boat on the lake, see 10th 64 and go, Oh, all the muskies are shallow because as we mentioned earlier, the whole, the whole population of fish aren't doing the same thing. There's fish out deep, fish out fishing shallow and making sure that I try everything throughout the day, no matter if I'm having success shallow or if I'm having success deep, it added so many bites and so many new learning experiences throughout the year that I I basically wouldn't have gotten if I didn't hold myself accountable and force myself to just check a spot super shallow between going lake to lake, um, fishing basin, something like that. Whereas, you know, I think a lot of us get into the habits and the milk runs and the, the, Oh, it's for sure this. And it definitely definitely narrows our ability to progress as fishermen and learn. And what I found to be an extremely consistent pattern from, I would say, the beginning middle of May to basically the middle of October was super deep and super shallow. And what I attribute it to is the fish have become accustomed to boats, but they do not like being underneath boats. And by boats, like I mentioned earlier, we have a zillion of them. So when I mean super shallow, I mean I'm sitting in two to three foot waves from 30 foot cigar boats cast into the sand shoreline because the boats can't physically drive next to the docks or between the docks and shore. And that's where these fish are sitting. I don't know that they necessarily want to be there or that they're necessarily set up there to feed. But middle of the day, hot times, technically it's flat column, but you're, for, you're fighting boat waves and basically the, the whirlpool effect of our small lakes and there's fish super shallow and those much, much more, uh, you're able to convert those fish much more often, especially when fish are in a negative or neutral mood as opposed to your, your deep fish where that. As a personal fisherman, that's what I would have been grinding on all day. But when I have clients coming up the next day that have never musky-fished, well, you got to find something different. Doing the, realizing that a little bucktail super shell just to be able to find fish worthy of making a move on a bait—it definitely—it it just comes full circle. You gotta you gotta realize the differences, and I'm I'm definitely lucky to be able to take all of the knowledge throughout the Minnesota years. To, Wisconsin years and I definitely miss those states (laughs) don't get me wrong I'm going to definitely try to start guiding my way north um, as next season uh, kicks off but it's definitely just a a full circle learning curve and if you don't force yourself out of the box you don't try something different you're never going to you're never going to add that extra one two four ten fish a season that, that ends up making your season ends up you know could even be PB or whatever it may be, but definitely just adding something to your arsenal, getting outside your box, taking everything that you've learned from all the waterways and realizing the differences you got to fish. You got to fish everything throughout each day. I truly believe that. And I think it plays a major, major role on smaller bodies of water. Um, or I think it has a a much larger factor on these smaller bodies of water where the, uh, the changes occur much,
0: much quicker. All right. So Austin had a little bit of, he had a note about sound, Brad. Obviously you have some thoughts on the topic. I'm sure I know Austin does. That's why he put it down on his notes, but let's kind of get your thoughts on sound, Brad, because I know that's kind of been your gig now with your two latest baits, you know, and obviously there's some vibration, but there's some sound there too. So once you kind of, once you kind of go into your thoughts on sound right away.
1: Yeah, you know, sound is an interesting thing, right? I mean, we all know that muskies relate to certain sounds and attraction. One of the things that I can kind of go back to, and I'm going to start dating myself here a little bit, but, man, it's it's been a long time. I bet it was 2003, 2005, somewhere in there. Mike Keys had Greg Thomas in the boat. They were doing a TV show, and Greg was on a night bite for... Um, doing a trolling night bite, and it was so unique because I knew about the bite, and I I, I know who exactly came up with this bite. It was Billy Beatner, you know, a really good friend of mine, and they were catching on slammers, and they were trolling these baits, three of three or four, I don't remember how many people were in the boat, but the TV show is probably still out there, probably on YouTube, and um, it was Keys Outdoors, Greg Thomas, and they're crushing it on these slammers and I'm out there doing the same exact thing and I'm not catching, but they are. And so guess what, you know, what it really boiled down to was sound. And what they were doing is they were using a 13 inch grandma or excuse me, 13 inch believer. They weren't getting bit on the believer, but what it was doing is it was attracting the fish and then they were eating the the slammer baits. So, I mean, think about that. That sound made the difference. Yeah, it wasn't the bait that actually got eaten, but uh, but the Slammers were. And so from that point on, you know, mentally for me, sound became a really big thing. And and you just said it, Jeff. I mean, we looked at the trigger and we looked at the detonator. You know, Danny Herbert came up with that whole sleeve idea underneath the clevises. And it definitely makes a different grinding noise under the water those clevises are turning that sleeve and kind of grinding grinding against the bead. <clears throat> Muskies like it. So sound has always been something that's been crucial in the back of my head. And I, I've said it before, you know, you have those special cowgirls that kind of make that clicking noise. Well both the trigger and the detonator are doing that now just because of that sleeve. And it's it's the best duplication I've ever been able to come up with when it comes to making that certain noise that I believe muskies really are attracted to.
2: Oh, for sure. It it basically took your, your best bucktails that have been bent and and caught fish year after year that have that grind and that noise. And it, it gave you, it gave you the instantaneous out of the box fish catching ability that used to be like a year after year use bait that developed into that. To me, it's wild because of the the little side side note that I've gone into the, the whole learning aspect on sound and, and truly it's important. But it's wild that that this was developed just in general. For bucktails, number one, when you put on like a, a, a junior cowgirl right out of the box and it just comes back pure and you, you don't even feel any any grind, let's say. It just feels like just so pure the blades are spinning perfectly in sync and it's just pushing water and you just don't even feel a thing that's great and all but then when you go down the whole rabbit hole of how much sound truly plays an importance into the role of fish and marine species under the water it's definitely an environment more dictated towards sound than its sight by like a long shot and the fact that you can just put a sleeve on that bait and having that incorporated with the staggered blade, um, you know, trigger and detonator that you guys came out with. It's just instantaneous fish catching ability. It's, it's pretty
1: wild. Yeah. I think that's just a, a small equation in this whole deal. You know what I mean? I, there's so many different things that you can do to, to gather some of the sound, just as I said, with, you know, trolling a believer, while you're trolling that believer, it's not the bait that's the go-to, you know. It's the other baits that are, but it's an attractant. And so you got to pay attention to the little, the little details, if you will. And sometimes um, just having that other attractant in the boat will definitely get fish to, to eat a different bait. And and here's actually something that I, I just recently
2: either thought of or, or heard on the podcast somewhere along the line. But it was basically the idea of why the third person in the boat gets bit on tough days, right? And this might not be specifically sound related, but you have your first person, let's say, throwing a uh, high uh, in the water column, fast-moving bait, bucktail, topwater, whatever it may be. Second person in the boat, you know, throwing either slower top or slower bucktail or a crankbait, something to get down a little bit. And then you have your third person in the boat, slow pulling a rubber bait, getting really close to the cover down in their face, and, and you, you think about the whole concept of just the attractant. So those first two baits went through the, the zone of that fish, but it wasn't nearly as active as, as maybe, uh, it would be if it would have chased that first blade in and the second bait in, but it was active enough to at least get its attention, realize something's going on in its, you know, in its area. And that third bait comes through perfectly in its zone, in its depth columns, slower, more meticulous, staying in its in its strike zone, whether it be neutral fish or a negative fish, and it's it's those first two baits that went through the zone that got the third bait bit. It's not that if you were to throw that that bulldog through that zone and you were the only bait in the boat, yeah, you might have got bit. But getting that fish in in a more active sense or aware of its surroundings, that things go, things are going on, like your example that. You said with the, the believers, you got a loud, giant crankbait running through the zone, yet it's the basically the quiet bait in the back getting bit. But without the one, you don't have the other. And it, it is a crazy thing to try to piece together um, when you're looking at why a fish bit or what made the difference. But that's the part of the game that I absolutely have the most fun with, is, is trying to piece together these little details. And thinking of stuff like that.
1: Well, it's amazing to me too, Austin. I mean, it, Matt Seifert, he's been a guest many times on the podcast here. And he, he always blows my mind with some different idiosyncrasies that he has in his mind. But, you know, fishing three guys in a boat, he's in the back. He will not even bother fishing behind anybody with a top water, um, not just, I shouldn't say just the top water, but a flat tail. If that flat tail oh. is in the front of the boat, he doesn't even want to throw a bait behind it because he doesn't feel that he has any confidence in catching. He, to-
2: he told me that when I first met him in Lake Vermilion in 2017, and I've kept it by my side ever since. He's definitely got a, a ton of stuff that I know opened my mind tremendously and taught me a ton on technology itself. But that, that right there is, is stuck to me pretty good. And it, I mean, to some degree, it makes sense. I mean, you think about a flat tail and the idea of the the slow top water and and staying in the zone of a fish for as long as possible and and that that just the slow irresistible sound of a of a flat tail and if a fish is going to move on a bait in general and come to the boat if not eat it, throwing a bait behind a flat tail is basically useless
1: yeah that's that's his motto, and he's stuck to that for many years. You know, there's always, you can always break the rules. I mean, this is musky fishing. So I don't always get hung up on certain things, but, you know, it's amazing. And I guess the reason I brought this whole point up is because everybody has those idiosyncrasies. And maybe it's a confidence thing, or maybe it's an actual true sound issue. You know, maybe these fish don't want to have that come over their head first. But I look at it this way, too. I believe a muskie is so aware of its surroundings. What's the difference if that fish or that bait was fished in the front of the boat versus the rear of the boat? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe there's that, something to it. You know, there's a science to it. And, and we can all think about what that science might be. But uh, ultimately, we kind of are left in the dust, if you will, with questions. Yeah, I, I don't know that that we'll ever actually know. But
2: it, it is it is fun. And like you said, there's no always when it comes to muskies by any means. But I think the the sound factor is definitely gonna be one of the more I would say revolutionary routes that, that muskie fishing goes. I mean, beyond the technology and the live scope and, and things along that, I think we dictate our topwaters in specific to conditions and wave size and uh, the, the amount of noise that is happening in their environment. Yet, once our bait gets below the surface, to some degree, I would say, I would say your top end fishermen maybe dictate their blade size to the waves and, and the amount of uh, commotion going on in the, in the uh, water. But I don't think it's a, it's a really like common top of the thread discussed topic. And I don't know if it's just because it's too science for people or if it maybe is just not something you can put a finger on at the end of the day. But just the, the, the fact that sound travels basically a mile per second under the water is, like, insane to me. That, that, that fact is, is crazy because my lakes aren't even a mile long, you know? And my bait lands. My, you know, trigger engages every muskie in the lake unless they're hidden in the weeds and the sound isn't able to transfer through or go around the bend, whatever it may be. I'm, I'm not that science-based, but I mean, it's wild to me that I have until this point not taken sound to the consideration I feel like it it deserves.
1: Here's another example of sound underwater that kind of blew my mind and I I think this is kind of an interesting one another guest that we've had on Danny Herbick I mean great guy he's up on Eagle Lake he was doing a film shoot for walleyes actually and they were in like I believe it was 32 feet of water and they sunk a camera right to the bottom looking vertically back up towards the boat and they were vertical jigging walleyes they filmed all day they caught a bunch of fish Watch these fish actually eat their jigs, rip them up to the boat, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, they went back and started looking at some of that underwater footage of what they had found. You could hear the voices inside the boat talking the whole time they were catching these fish. So that one's kind of stuck to me, too. You know, how much noise are we making in a boat that uh, probably dictates some of our catches as well? Yeah, and
2: so I, I got this is a perfect place to plug. So the, the the YouTube page that I've been finding a ton of this information on is called Muskie Factory. John Anderson, I think, hosts the majority of it. Um, but this the uh, scientist is named Sean Landsman. If you, people want to actually keep deep diving on this, if they looked up the Muskie Factory, I believe it's something to do with uh, pressured waters and tough times on YouTube. It goes into all of this, but it's, it's amazing. They have, there's a guy in Canada they talked about that basically he put an underwater camera and fished with his outboard engine running during the day. And the amount of muskies that came up to just look at his outboard engine while it was running and on during the day and just inspect what was going on because they're naturally curious and the top of the line, predator in their waters came up and checked out the big motor and then swam away. It didn't want anything to do with him fishing, just had to inspect the noise that was coming uh, or that was going on in basically their area. And I, I think that it, they actually, they talk much deeper on the idea of, and, and there actually might be some studies that they talk about with, in terms of us making noise in the boat and its effect on, you know, if, we catch fish or not, I think that a lot of their studies findings was more related to the learned behavior or conditioning of the fish. Say we catch and release the fish, and now when they hear the outboard engine come into that bay, they may literally leave the bay. And I know that you, especially Bob, have heard um, Bob Benson talk about this many times. I believe actually in your guidelines or whatever your guide highlights YouTube video, uh, bob benson mentions that he pulls up to spots and he literally sees on his grass fish pulling off spots like they know the sound of his boat and when i listened to that when you guys posted that i went you know bob i i, I believe you on a lot of things that one just seems a little bit too far-fetched yet all of the scientific stuff that they talk about in this youtube video and a bunch of the stuff that i learned recently it's so true and it's it's more just conditioning and understanding that that was bad or an unfavorable experience. And I attribute it to the big motor sound or the sonar sound or your bilge pump being on. And it, it is crazy the amount that I would say these fish change their habits when we catch them or just any of these experiences that we, we don't even take into consideration when we pull up on the spot or or think about the bait we're fishing or the spot we're fishing. It's just the fun part of the sport that I know that I certainly enjoy. opens your mind incredibly.
1: Well, what you're talking about there is a bunch of Vermilion guys that have changed their whole way of fishing by playing loud music in their boat so that people think it's a party boat that really isn't fishing, you know? They're taking it to a whole different level. They, they are fishing a little bit more pressured lake, but definitely something to consider. That's for sure. I mean, trying to confuse these fish and I think you hit it on the head, whether it's a bilge pump, it might be a certain sound of a, a motor if they've been caught trolling and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's really funny. Uh, I'm really good friends with Andy Morgan, who is a three time FLW champion in the bass world. And it's really funny to me sometimes because I actually guided him out west doing an antelope punt, archery antelope punt. And I'm talking to him and I'm saying, hey, what, you know, what kind of electronics do you use? And he's a good old Southern boy. And he's like, well, Brad, I, I use some of that Lorantz product, you know? And I go, oh, really? I, I said, are you using side imaging at all? And his buddy interrupted and said, Brad. He doesn't use his electronics. He doesn't have a single electronics in his boat that works. And I went, what? You're the three-time FLW champion. And he said, well, think about it, Brad. He goes, they got a brain the size of a pea. He goes, they ain't that hard to catch. And I just started laughing. And it just blows my mind. So you go from one end of the perspective to the other. It's quite strange when you put it in that perspective. Oh God. Yeah. You, you can, that's, oh, uh, I, I do it like almost
2: on the daily. I, I go from one side all the way to the other, like grab yourself a cowgirl. Don't think twice, go cast your best spots. You'll catch plenty of monkeys and you don't even have to think about what's going on or the time of year or whatever. Go slower when it's cooler, go faster when it's warmer and you'll probably have plenty of success. But I, I literally just did a seminar two weeks ago now and and I said, At the start, which I actually may have mentioned in in my past podcast with you guys, but basically this sport is is extremely special in the fact that you can make it as simple or as complicated as you want. And I think a lot of it has to do with your time on the water and your ability to dedicate or or learn what really goes into why you caught a fish or what's going to make you catch more fish. And if you don't have the time to do it or care or... You just don't need to. Some days you're gonna catch plenty of fish by just doing what what's been proven, throwing the proven bait on the proven spots. But us as I guess guides and obsessed muskie anglers is a, when I'm your age and and however many years of muskie fishing down the road, and you know maybe I'll have my own bait company or whatever. By then, I'm sure I'll be sitting there thinking, "Boy, I wish I would have just kept it simple." But it's kind of fun to think in, in terms of. All this complicated stuff once in you while.
1: Yeah, I, de- I definitely think there's times when we give the fish too much credit, and there's a lot of times when we don't. And I think that's the bottom line. And when it comes to sound, that's definitely something you got to consider. Sound and pressure, because I mean,
2: pressure pressure by far changes everything. And I know personally, I can attribute so much of my my drive to try to do something different on a daily basis or modifying baits whatever it may be and that's just simply learning the sport of musty fishing and the most pressured body of water in the u.s by google's standards and then being able to take that and go to wisconsin go to minnesota and i wouldn't say it's it's easier fishing but the fishing that i'm doing and the dialing in process and what I attribute to be a bigger factor over a smaller factor, learning all of that and, and knowing your, your variables each day and what makes a bigger difference, it's made the, the fishing easier when you go to better fisheries, and you're only as good as your fisheries.
0: Hey, Brad, I got a question for you before we get out of here for the night. That story about the believer and the slammers, have you seen it happen? Have you seen it work since? Maybe. All right, just checking. <laughs> i
2: I've tried that actually. When, I, don't I don't know, know when the... you talked about that last, Brad, but I know that after you talked about it, I certainly tried multiple times during my trolling ex, uh, ex, excursions on putting a super loud rattling bait. And I'm sure you could probably look at my team Rhino orders, and there's a there's a little uh, stint there of really loud big rattling baits that I ended up ordering, but. I think that uh, that certainly still works uh, down here.
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. I mean, we have the um, Chad bait that we came out with, I don't even know how many years ago, three, four years ago, and it's got rattles in it. And there's times when definitely I've seen it prove true. If I have it on one side running, those baits are getting eaten. I pull that bait and put it on the other side of the boat. You know, we started on port, we go to the starboard side, we put that back out, put tremor shad out, boom, all of a sudden starboard side starts getting eaten. So it's definitely, there is something to it. Would I say that it works every day and it's, you know, the, the catch all of almighty, you know? No, it's not. But there are certain days that it definitely calls fish up.
2: Yeah, for sure. And if
1: you don't know about it, you're never going to be able to try it and they're not going to
2: catch you the fish you don't know about and you don't try it. So that's, that's the fun of this stuff. I know that I I listen to every single one of these uh, podcasts and I take as much as I possibly can out of it and make sure I make my notes and stuff because these are the things that if it accounts for one or two extra fish in a year, it's a lot. I mean, every fish is a success by by a long shot these days with the amount of fishermen. And I guess difficulty of actually boating a, a muskie every time you're on the water. So one extra fish by just having us, you know bring the topic up and somebody try it. It, it makes a difference. It's, it's definitely worthwhile to
1: jot down and, and keep these things in the back of your head for sure. It's all the pieces to the puzzle like we talk about all the time. And each one of those pieces just takes you to the next level. Exactly. and that's, Every level, more frustrating, more fun. You know, we're always trying to add pieces to the puzzle, but one thing that can do is it can set you back a little bit too. So you got to be cautious with some of this as well. You know, from time to time, something that you believe in because you caught in a certain manner or fashion doesn't always mean it's the the catch-all to all fish. So keep that in mind as well. I think that's a very, very good point to
2: drill home, and I I think you said it in, in a similar way, but a different way of another thing that you preach, and it's just don't fish memories. And I, I know that that's a, a huge topic that I I try to preach on as well. I think that if if you're fishing the current conditions, the what should be working for where the fish are on your on your electronics, you know what you're seeing for that day, and you put whatever tool piece of the or lure of the toolbox, you know to to work for that day during those circumstances, it's going to give you the best opportunity half, half the time having all this jargon in your head like you said it, it can overcomplicate things and actually make you unproductive if you're not not careful but the, the lcd you know lure change disorder I actually put this in my notes which was kind of interesting who has lcd during trolling you know like no, nobody's out there just trolling for five minutes taking a bait off trying a new one so wh- when you're sitting there and you're you're in that lcd stage which i know a ton of us have from time to time especially when fishing gets tough think of it as if you didn't give that bait multiple spots or a chance to go buy multiple fish that could easily be in different moods or whatever it may be there's no reason you're not actually learning anything you're not going to catch any more fish by changing bait a million times for the sheer fact of not confidence or a million different ideas and things going through your head you gotta you gotta think of it in terms of if you were trolling right now how many times would you have changed baits in the last hour well maybe one or two and probably just a color or a depth of that bait running so again knowing knowing your variables and which ones are actually playing uh, a bigger importance on the end result is is definitely the the key to it and all the rest is just fun stuff to make sure you, you keep on the on the side of the, the head for little in, introductions to hopefully get you an extra fish or two throughout the season. It's, it's no, you know, like you said, see all see all have, have one, one way of doing it. There are uh, certainly a lot of ways to do it and making sure that you're, you're keeping diverse, but keeping it simple is, is definitely the best route.
0: Well, Austin, we appreciate you coming out and talking muskies with us for somebody that's looking to book a trip with you again. How do they go about doing that?
2: Uh, you can just go ahead and, I would say the easiest way to get a hold of me would just be direct phone number. Again, 815 575 3468. Text and call. I haven't quite started booking for 2022 yet. Um, I will for sure be doing uh, Illinois throughout all the way into, I would assume, the beginning of June. And after that, I'm going to hopefully make my way into Minnesota for um, the majority of the summer and then fall, who knows? So, Definitely, we'll be able to at least get you um, booked for a, a general date here in the spring if you're looking to get out in Illinois. And then after that, any other interest, like I said, you can uh, we can discuss that uh, through text or or again Facebook or Instagram. Austin Weiderman, just my name. Um, feel free to get a hold of me, and feel free to get a hold of me for any other things. I love love talking muskies. I could talk muskies for you know, three more days with you guys for sure. So, but I do want to thank you guys again for having me. I'm glad that I was able to, uh, make a second appearance. So my first one must not have been too bad, but again, thank you guys. Uh, honored to be able to talk with you guys. Some of the top guys and most representable, uh, bait owners and bait company owners in the industry. It's, it's pretty cool to get on here and talk and, and hopefully we, we shared some knowledge for some people
0: yeah absolutely we just want to thank you again for coming out and we appreciate that we appreciate you listening and the kind words on the podcast and about brad and and myself i i know brad deserves them i don't know if i do but you know we thank you for all that and we just want to thank our listeners again for coming out and listening to another episode of our podcast and we will come back with another episode again next week wednesday so thanks again have a great day